When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The people of Ukraine are enduring strong and they will fight, but they are outgunned. I would have liked to have seen the early imposition of sanctions. I think Vladimir Putin's heard enough tough talk. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Not only is the United States the biggest consumer economies in the world, it's also the biggest consumer of gasoline in particular. Mitigation for a pandemic is really on a continuum. The more transmission and the more risk, the more layers of mitigation we need. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Is Europe moving closer to war? The stock market seems to think so. And so does the White House. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we follow hour-to-hour changes in the storyline from Moscow to Kiev to Washington. And we'll have the latest for you straight ahead along with a conversation with Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the United Nations and to Russia. His unique insights only on Sound On tonight. Later, is the government moving closer to a shutdown? No one's threatening that. But lawmakers still have to pass a stopgap here on the eve of money running out. We'll get an update from Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick on Capitol Hill. The panel today, Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist at HG Creative Media, and Frank Mezzano, longtime Republican communications official on the Hill, now senior principal at Bracewell. How things have changed in the last two days. To be fair, the White House has been consistent in that time in not believing Russia's claims of de-escalation. U.S. intelligence says Russia has sent 7,000 more troops to the Ukrainian border since talk of a pullback began early Tuesday morning. The Biden administration decided to lean into this today. The messaging began first thing this morning. President Biden walking out of the South Portico on his way to the helicopter. Stopped right there in the driveway. With reporters shouting questions along the rope line asking what are the chances now of an invasion. The threat of a Russian invasion right now. It's very high. Because they have not, they have not moved any of their troops out. They've moved more troops in. Number one, number two, we have reason to believe that they are engaged in a false flag operation. They have an excuse to go in. Every indication we have is they're prepared to go into Ukraine, attack Ukraine. The president, though, when asked, still allowing for a diplomatic solution. Well, there any what? diplomatic path still available? Yes, the there is. There's a clear diplomatic path. That's why I asked Senator, uh, Senator uh, Secretary Blinken to go to the United Nations and make his statement today. Indeed, Secretary of State Antony Blinken dispatched to the U.N., the Security Council, to deliver a message that we do not believe Moscow. Russia has amassed more than 150,000 troops around Ukraine's borders in Russia. Belarus occupied Crimea. 
Russia says it's drawing down those forces. We do not see that happening on the ground. Our information indicates clearly that these forces, including ground troops, aircraft, ships, are preparing to launch an attack against Ukraine in the coming days. Blinken says, as we've been hearing for weeks from this administration, including this morning from the president, Russia is working up a false flag operation to create a pretext for war. He followed to say Russia would then convene emergency meetings, responding to its own operation before a planned attack would be carried out. This was an unexpected address before the U.N. He went on to invite Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov to meet again next week in Europe to resolve the crisis without conflict. Now, Bloomberg News Today also spoke with Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Markova, who maintains that Kyiv will not panic in the face of Russian aggression. We know that the risk is there. We know that the intent to attack is there. Uh, we not only know it, we experience it for the past eight years. Now, we cannot afford to panic. Now we're joined by a voice of experience. Career Ambassador Thomas Pickering served as ambassador to the U.N. and to Russia, among many other countries, in a distinguished career in the U.S. Foreign Service, and he's back with us. Ambassador, welcome back to Bloomberg. Do you think Vladimir Putin knows what he wants to do? Thanks. Nice to be back. I never believed we should ever underestimate Vladimir Putin. The really interesting question, which of the numerous choices he has before him he's going to select? At the moment, we're seeing a kind of what we would call two-step shuffle. (laughs) One step to try to make people believe that, in fact, he's withdrawing, although The intelligence data does not seem to support that, and we should take that seriously. The other seemingly prepared to move forward against Ukraine, and that's something that obviously would produce very, very serious reactions and engage us in the danger of conflict and perhaps even a worse sort of conflict than we could imagine. That would be a slip by accident, misjudgment, or miscalculation, which could be a, uh, a, a factor here yep. for nuclear use, and that would in itself Wait. be what a thought. catastrophic. Yes. Well, in, in terms of the, the, the idea of potentially something going wrong, Kiev says Russia-backed separatists increased shelling of the Ukrainian army today. I know that's not new, but there was more today. Almost 40 ceasefire violations. Separatists uh, hit a kindergarten, among other buildings. The Organization Ambassador for Security and Cooperation in Europe says this is not beyond the level of activity we've been seeing in eastern Ukraine, but what if it does intensify to a new level? Well, it's always worrying, and I saw those reports this morning. They seem to indicate that there is a triplication, if not quadrific- quadrification, <laughs> of the level of attacks that are coming in. And while they were not specific as to which side they were coming from, uh, one can assume, particularly given the damage to the kindergarten, that yep. they came from the separatist side. And it's important to know that factor because just the multiplication of shelling uh, on both sides is something that goes up and down, as the report indicates. But it's not good, and that's clearly a problem as well. The Biden administration says Russia has added thousands more troops just this week. Russia says it's de-escalating and that we are hysterical. Someone needs to be wrong, Ambassador. What happens to diplomacy when both sides are contradicting each other like this? What happens when both sides are contradicting each other is the absolute necessity for both sides to sit down calmly at the table and precisely to go over 
what it is they think they see and hear, and what it is that the real-world truth is telling them, and then begin a process of laying out on the table where they would like to go. So we can begin to see whether, one, uh, there is on both sides, as they profess to speak, a significant intention to resolve the problem peacefully, and secondly, to engender that even more by the conversation, and thirdly, to begin to pick up the pieces where there is potential overlap or where there could be made to be potential overlap as part of crafting a win-win solution. The Russians today complain that the U.S. did not seem uh, to wish to accept all of the five demands that they have made as an absolute uh, capitulation to Russia. Well, Russia knows better than that. They know that negotiations never succeed uh, around a capitulation to the first demands yeah. of the other side. And, of course, we know that as well as we go down this road. So uh, compromise and negotiation requires hard work. It requires strong understanding. It requires innovation. So far, we have not seen a consistent stick to it. Yeah. It would be a very useful sign if both presidents said, I'm naming so-and-so. Mm -hmm. He is my person or she is my person. They have my full support. They're going to sit at the table and talk until this is resolved, and we're in it for the long haul, which is resolution. I'm not sure someone like that exists in Moscow, Ambassador, but we learned today that Russia has expelled the U.S. Deputy Chief of Mission in Moscow, Bart Gorman. What does that move tell you? Well, just another escalation in the war that has been going on now for years of picking on the diplomats because yeah, they're there. That? But I, I know there are Russians who can help solve this problem if they're given the right instructions. I've worked with them. The Secretary of State Blinken today sent the right message to the Security Council. He invited Sergei Lavrov to sit down next week. That's entirely right, and that's probably where it should start. The Secretary and the Foreign Minister need to be around at the times when the negotiation gets tough and we need higher levels to break it. Neither can pull away from their regular jobs for the kind of engaged activity that I think is necessary. But there are very capable and, and very well-informed people who can do that kind of job. The question, though, is do they have the trust of Vladimir Putin? Is he, does he trust anyone really to fill that role? That We keep hearing his inner circle has about two or three people, Ambassador. Seemingly his level of trust is very low. And, of course, as you know, he uses corruption as an inducement uh, to produce loyalty. Yeah. How long that can work and in this kind of context, I do not know. But it is a confusing and in my view, not helpful picture to have that factor involved in the situation as well. You were last with us just about a month ago, a little more than that, uh, Ambassador Pickering. Where is your gut today on this whole matter? Do you see an invasion as being imminent like we're hearing from the White House? I have that bad feeling in my gut and will have it until we begin to see something that is more than declarations, which begins to move us away from confrontation and toward a workout, and hopefully that will take place. No rational human being in charge of a nation would wish to threaten and carry through with the threat of global warfare to achieve even the kind of objectives that Mr. Putin is talking about. And we need constantly to work on that in the hopes that at the end of the day, 
a rational view not only about what's good for Russia but preserves him in power, if that's what he's after here, can be accommodated uh, with an arrangement over a period of time where we can find the rules, the principles, the virtues, and the values to live together. Ambassador, thank you for coming back to share your insights. Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the United Nations, ambassador to Russia, India, Israel, Nigeria, Jordan, and El Salvador. Career ambassador with us on Bloomberg Sound On. And we're just getting started on the fastest hour in politics. We set the table and then assemble the panel. And coming up next, we'll be talking with Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist at HG Creative Media. Frank Mezzano, senior principal at Bracewell, is with us as well as we get their view with a very dangerous situation unfolding in Europe. Stay with us. We'll check traffic and markets next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. I am here today, not to start a war, but to prevent one. There is a credible prospect that a Russian military action would take place even before the end of the Olympics. Tensions with Russia over its intentions in Ukraine continue to escalate, with President Biden this morning saying that the probability of an invasion is, quote, very high. And Secretary of State Tony Blinken appearing before the U.N. Security Council to lay out U.S. intelligence. Russia has amassed more than 150,000 troops around Ukraine's borders in Russia, Belarus, occupied Crimea. Russia says it's drawing down those forces. We do not see that happening on the ground. Russia invaded us in 2014. Russia invaded Crimea. Russia invaded the parts of Donetsk and Lugansk territories. And for the past eight years, we have been living under aggression from Russia. Our information indicates clearly that these forces, including ground troops, aircraft, ships, are preparing to launch an attack against Ukraine in the coming days. Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. The sounds of rising tensions should I say, deteriorating conditions. Thanks for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. The headline on the terminal, U.S. ramps up Ukraine warnings as Russia denies invasion plans. We're still waiting for some kind of breakthrough here as we discuss the two-step shuffle that Vladimir Putin is taking with Ambassador Pickering. We now assemble the panel. Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist at HG Creative Media, as well, Frank Mezzano, longtime Republican communications official on Capitol Hill, now senior principal at Bracewell, and with us 
here on Sound On. Thanks to both of you for being with us. Kevin, if you can say one thing for this administration is that it has been consistent since Vladimir Putin uh, started to declare the de-escalation, the pullback earlier this week. Does Joe Biden believe what he's saying, that we're preparing for an imminent invasion, or is this a strategy to keep it from happening? Well, uh, Joe, time will tell. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right in that this administration has been consistent. They've taken a different attack uh, than we've seen in the past in terms of the rapid uh, declassification of some of the intelligence, sharing that on the world stage as you uh, played that clip from Secretary uh, Blinken earlier today before the Security Council, obviously with the president's address two days ago um, from the East Room. Uh, the idea of providing on the world stage uh, this material with the direct uh, ramifications should um, uh, Russia proceed farther into Ukraine, I think has been uh, the hallmark of what we've seen coming out of this administration uh, in the past couple of weeks and months uh, leading up to this point, certainly. Frank, the administration still says, the president and the secretary of state, that we are still favoring a diplomatic path. Is one even possible at this point? Well, certainly uh, one is always possible. The war, and, you know, the world is watching, right? Uh, and Russia is surrounding it, uh, its border it's with Ukraine and filling it up with troops. Um, you know, and then, of course, we get one report one day, one report the next day. So, I, you know, look, I think we're just going to have to take one step back, take a deep breath, be prepared for them to do something that we wouldn't expect them to do. And uh, in the end, uh, hope for the best and just keep pushing on the diplomatic side. I, I was somewhat distracted, though, Joe, by your great lead in song. Uh, and I don't know if many people know, but uh, many people know know that song. But maybe you and I do because we're old enough to, to know that uh, yeah, Black Ozzy Osbourne has never been with us here on Sound On before, but I'll tell you, um, there there is something you to be Sharon learned. You got to get Sharon at least. <laughs> I know. I was I was really distracted. I couldn't even hear what uh, Blinken was Jeez. saying in the clips because I was listening to Ozzy oh, and Black Sabbath. So. We're not trying to do that, Kevin. What's the next step here? Is it waiting for a response to the invitation to Sergey Lavrov? And is I mean, my goodness, at what point? Do we dispel uh, with the theater or do we have to continue talking knowing uh, that they may have ulterior motives? Well, when it comes to Putin, Joe, obviously theater, uh, you know, is, is the name of the game. You know, obviously the vice president is wheeled down in Munich. Uh, this is the first time in a long time Russian uh, folks haven't participated uh, in the Munich Security Conference. I think that uh, in the coming uh, hours and days uh, will be an important thing to watch. Obviously, the vice president on the world stage in a very significant way, meeting with President Zelensky, others. So uh, I think that will be a really strong indicator uh, in the in the hours and days to come. Certainly, uh, you know, preparing for Russia's response to what uh, Secretary Blinken shared uh, before the Security Council today with, uh, you know, Foreign Minister Lavrov, that invitation uh, will certainly uh, be a focal point as well. But when it comes to Putin, it's all about pageantry, optics, uh, what have you. Uh, but certainly, as I, I said before, you've seen a really a strong administration rallying the West, rallying our NATO allies. And this is actually having, uh, you know, an adverse reaction, I think, than what Putin uh, anticipated. He anticipated a Western alliance fraud yeah. with the, the division and, and, and differences. And that's pulled everyone together, right Kevin. You know, it's interesting, exactly. uh, as we heard from the Secretary of State, Frank, I'd like to have you just respond to something that he mentioned today, because he knew going in that that a U.S. Secretary of State dispatched hastily to the U.N. Security Council brings back memories of weapons of mass destruction of the late Colin Powell of the vile. Here's what he said. Some have called into question our information, recalling previous instances where 
intelligence ultimately did not bear out. But let me be clear. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. The information I presented here is validated by what we've seen unfolding in plain sight before our eyes for months. Frank, does the U.S. have credibility in that forum? Oh, I, I really do think they do. You know, the reality is it's much easier to see what's going on in the buildup of troops there uh, in uh, at the border um, and, and, and watch what they're doing um, than, than it is to find weapons of mass destruction that were underground or hidden yeah. or moved around. So, I mean, I do look, this is a different case. It's a different story. The world knows that uh, Russia is building uh, up its forces on the border. And, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is the, the world is going to act, uh, you know, in concert. The question is, what what his allies think yeah. of it? Uh, you know, does he undermine Xi's Olympics in the middle of it? Yeah, by doing that's something? a whole that's a whole other question on the timeline. Frank, thank you, Kevin. We'll reassemble the panel later. Next, we take a look at the budget. And if the lights go out tomorrow, this is Bloomberg. It was right around this time yesterday we, we introduced you to the Crack Act. It was introduced by Senator Marco Rubio, who claims despite several denials from the White House and a similar effort from Senator Marshall Blackburn before him, that the administration wants to spend tens of millions of dollars on clean crack pipes to provide to the at-risk population. The Biden administration is going to be sending crack pipes and meth pipes targeting minority communities in this country, underserved communities. I know that sounds insane. I know that sounds too crazy to be true. They confirmed it yesterday. They're gonna, they call them smoking kits and they say it's about equity, but they have in essence confirmed that they're gonna be mailing and sending pipes. They have in essence confirmed. Well, in essence, they have not. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, it's not true. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki repeatedly not true, but it doesn't have to be true to hold up a spending bill which is exactly what has happened with this. And it's not the only challenge that has been made to this piece of legislation. Good Lord, we're just trying to get through the next few weeks. And we're joined to talk about it by Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick, who is the specialist when it comes to appropriations here in Washington. And of course, no stranger to this broadcast. Thanks for being with us, Jack. Where does this all stand here in terms of the challenges to this bill? It's a weird set of circumstances. Lately, the crack pipe issue has just been broken off of the negotiations for this stopgap measure. Senator Rubio asked for unanimous consent to just separately pass his bill, uh, and it was objected to actually not because of the crack pipe issue. Apparently, the language that he was proposing was even broader. It mentioned any cylindrical object that could be used, and there was a debate over mouthpieces versus crack pipes. Either way, that is not the issue regarding this stopgap. Now they appear to have a deal to move through this uh, in time to fund the government. The deadline is tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the amendment votes are actually two regarding uh, Republican attempts to block vaccine mandates and then another one that would require federal budgets to be balanced. Uh, It doesn't look like they will have the votes on this. In fact, that's almost the point they seem to have waited until enough Republicans left town, I believe, for a trip to Munich so that the Democrats, again, have a working majority because they have a couple members absent. Uh, ben Ray Lujan had a stroke. Mark Kelly uh, has a sick family member. So they essentially had to wait for there to be more Democrats than Republicans so they can hold some amendment votes attached to this stopgap that would then fail 
if they were to succeed, they'd have to send this back to the House. The House isn't even in. We'd end up having right. a shutdown. Uh, but it looks like we're on track to have some unsuccessful amendment votes and then an actual vote to fund the government, crack pipes aside. This is incredible. So amazingly, though, we're, we're 24 hours away, Jack, and nobody's talking about a shutdown, which I guess should tell us a lot about this moment, right? We're just fooling around knowing how this is going to end. Yeah, it's kind of just another day in Washington. I, keep in mind, you know, look at the polls for how things look for Republicans heading toward the midterms. They look great. The last thing they want is headlines of a Republican shutdown because they opposed a stopgap for whatever reason. I don't think anybody really entirely took seriously a threat of a shutdown. Nobody was sincerely saying, I'm going to shut down the government over this issue or that. But oftentimes, uh, a measure to fund the government and avoid a shutdown is seen as, uh, you know, they call it the Christmas tree. How many ornaments can we hang on to this and at least get a, a symbolic vote, if not something substantive? So this shows us the kinds of issues they're they're wanting to fight over. I'm sure we'll hear about the crack act in the future. Uh, but, yeah, it, it looks pretty good. I, I don't want to speak too soon, but they are holding sure. the amendment votes now. And nobody's okay. talking about an actual likelihood of a shutdown. So let's assume they get the work done, Jack. This is all approved. We buy ourselves a few weeks. I believe it goes to March 11th. Uh, how close are we to a real budget? The, the talks over an omnibus budget. I know that you've been reporting on uh, on top lines being delivered. It seems like we've had quite a bit of progress, uh, at least till the House uh, left town. Where are things going to be when they come back? Yeah, they've made enough progress so that most of the lawmakers I've talked to feel pretty good about the March 11th deadline to actually get a full omnibus funding deal. Uh, the one exception I thought was notable, John Hoven, who works on a Republican who, in the Senate who works on agriculture funding issues, said he was actually a little surprised they didn't get more time. And it does seem like they're uh, giving them only a few weeks to keep the pressure on. But mostly lawmakers have said they feel good about that. Uh, they, they've all gotten their allocations for each of the 12 funding bills. So now they can actually write the bills. They need to do that in the next couple of weeks so they can actually get through this through the House and Senate. I'm sure there will be some sort of amendment process. It's not the fastest thing in the world. But the majority of lawmakers in both parties uh, I've talked to in the Senate this week have said they're feeling pretty good about that March 11th yeah. date. That sounds pretty promising. We're not used to this kind of conversation. Uh, Jack Fitzpatrick with us uh, from Capitol Hill as we sort of gauge the timeline here and some of uh, the theatrics surrounding the debate over a budget. Jack, a lot of people don't realize this will help to actually unlock money uh, from the infrastructure law that was signed months ago. Yeah, there's actually a total of a couple hundred billion dollars of that infrastructure bill that would not be spendable until they appropriate the money following up on it in this Uh, omnibus government funding measure. That is uh, one reason it's important. I mean, overall, this is going to be a a roughly, probably a little north of one and a half trillion dollar government funding measure. Uh, They're not sharing all the numbers with us. Obviously, negotiations are still going on. But following through on the infrastructure bill, and I, I would say probably expect significant increases for public health and climate initiatives. At least that was a major focus for the initial bills that Democrats have put out. Fascinating. Great reporting, as always. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg government reporter and a regular here on Bloomberg Sound On. If you want to know what's happening in this space, you talk to Jack and great reporting on his part that you can subscribe to, by the way. I do. The budget briefing. Go to the terminal. Subscribe to it. You'll get a wake up from Jack every day with what is going on. We'll talk about this as we reassemble the panel coming up next. Kevin Walling is with us, along with Frank Mizano, as we also have news On former President Donald Trump potentially sitting for a deposition, 
tell you what we're talking about next here on Bloomberg Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. Traffic and markets are on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You heard it live just a few minutes ago. Bloomberg government reporting the Senate is now working through the amendments to the stopgap funding bill that'll keep the lights on beyond tomorrow and buy lawmakers enough time to come up with the real thing, an actual omnibus budget by the 11th of March. Jack Fitzpatrick was with us feeling fairly positive about all this. Nobody's talking about a shutdown, but the the hurdles we have to go through, the laboring. Unless, of course, you're on the other side of these amendments. Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Roger Marshall, Republican from Texas, Kansas, respectively, have proposals aimed at upending President Biden's vaccine mandate rule. We already talked about Marco Rubio's crack act, which has been dispatched from the bill. Maybe they'll have this figured out by the end of the night. As we reassemble the panel, Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist, HG Creative Media, is with us for the hour, along with Frank Mezano, longtime Republican communications official, now senior principal at Bracewell. Frank, you were a press secretary for any number of Republican members of Congress over the years. Is this just par for the course? We have to go through these gyrations before you pass even a, a stopgap, a CR? Well, you know, there's, uh, I, I, was, I worked for members on the Appropriations Committee, and back then in the day, we, they worked together pretty well, even after the Newt Gingrich uh, era. But, you know, things have really gone south. And I think the tightness of the political environment, the three-vote margin in the Senate, the zero-vote margin in the, uh, in the Senate, the three-vote margin in the House, I think that's added additional pressure. John Dingell, the great former congressman who passed away, uh, he used to say, we got about until April. April, and then it's the silly season to to, yeah. to, to politics. And That's I right. think, unfortunately, we hit that sometime last October because <laughs> of the narrowness of the elections. And so I think everything we see is tinted toward uh, towards politics. And it, and the best example of it is Republicans attacking other Republicans for voting for an infrastructure bill. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, that, so, that happened. Right. So uh, we're in the silly season. Uh, it's going to get even worse as we head down the road and i just don't you know that's this is all part of it right um this is all part of that type of political posturing that we're going to see not just from republicans and ted cruz who is really good at that but all sides but you do have 12 uh 12 bills with top lines uh frank this this is looks like it's going to happen before march 11th right that would be progress 
Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, again, the, you know, the, the appropriations process is always a slow process. Um, and right now, if they keep doing stopgap, 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 Democrats don't aren't able to put their imprimatur on the budget process because they basically basically just keep renewing yeah. Trump budget numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So the longer that that goes on, the less likely it is for Democrats to really have taken control of the budget process. That's right. Despite the fact that they've had full control basically since January, you know, seventh or fifth or whenever. And whenever as we just discussed, a couple of hundred billion dollars uh, in infrastructure spending. Uh, locked up in this budget. Kevin Walling, silly season now. What is it going to look like by summer? Yeah, Joe, I think we're forever, to Frank's point, stuck in silly season. Uh, you know, I, to Frank's point, I'm hopeful. You've got some serious lawmakers and Richard Shelby in the Senate on the Republican side, obviously, Patrick Leahy, uh, you know, Rosa DeLauro, Kay Ivey. You know, yeah. these are senior members that have a real strong interest in, in moving this bill down the road uh, and not get held up to your point, Joe, on the, the silliness in terms of these optic bills, these optic amendments, like the crack issue. You saw, you know, uh, serious, uh, I think it was Patrick Leahy, he said, you know, we're, we might be facing a, a, third, world, world, a third world war, <laughs> right. you know, in the Senate, and you want to talk about crack pipes, uh, you know, that isn't actually an issue. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm hopeful that that process will move along to Frank. I guess point. it's going to get its own vote, uh, Kevin. The cutting rampant access to crack kits known to some as the Crack Act uh, may still I mean, see the light of day. Staffer that figured out the uh, the way to spell that out uh, to to make it sound like crack, but yeah, that was actually Bravo. somebody's job, wasn't it, Frank, to come up with that yeah, name? Yeah, it always is. Yeah, in fact, I've been in many of those times where we have to try and figure out a good acronym for it. But um, you know, the, the the reality is that that it hurts Republicans to distract. As somebody mentioned, I think Joe mentioned, or uh, uh, your your guy who was on Jack, uh, yeah. the budget guy, John. Um, you know, it, it distracts Republicans to have. Uh, from from their cause if they have something like this that becomes a roadblock and blows up. Mm-hmm. If they just talk about messaging things and, you know, all the evils that the Biden administration is doing, but, but then blow it up um, and it, it get, they get some sort of blame for it, that hurts them. So, you know, this is uh, this is they have to be careful that they don't overdo it in the political process uh, and, and, and undermine their own uh, chances of success. Spending time with Kevin and Frank, our panel today on Bloomberg Sound On, I have to ask you about the Trump story, both of you. As I read on the terminal, Trump can be deposed by New York Attorney General, Judge Rules. I thought, what? And they don't have a lot of time, by the way, to figure this out. 21 days, uh, if there's a way out of this, as the former president and two of his adult children, uh, that's uh, Donald Jr. and Ivanka, uh, must testify in New York Attorney General Letitia James' civil probe of the Trump organization. But as I read here, Kevin, they don't have to actually answer the questions. They have to show up, I understand, but refusing to answer the questions based on their constitutional right not to testify against themselves uh, is is allowed. And so, therefore, what are we going to learn? Yeah, Joe, I don't think that much. And obviously we saw Eric Trump, uh, participate in the in the probe uh, last year, yeah. where he invoked the Fifth Amendment uh, more than 500 times in that uh, <laughs> deposition. So I don't think we're going to get a lot of details out of it, but I do think there's a significant amount uh, to be said for in terms of the optics of seeing, uh, you know, the former president, his adult children come before uh, and sit at a, a conference table, be sworn in. Uh, and, you know, that, that those ads make themselves in terms of him just saying Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. 
uh, with the news, with his accounting firm and, and things like that. This is a headache for Republicans, certainly hmm. uh, heading into the midterms, because, again, it, it keeps Trump in, in the news, which is something that Republicans don't want. To Frank's point, in terms of a messaging issue. What's yeah. your take on this, Frank? Sometimes this can actually you know, empower Trump fans. Well, you know, certainly it does empower Trump fans. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I think we saw what happens when you focus on Trump and Trump alone in the in the in the the mid midterm election there in the state of Virginia, where you had, frankly, a very credible former governor uh, running uh, in, in 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 what is relatively purplish blue Virginia. And he was defeated by a candidate who stayed away from the Trump message and walked that fine line. Not everybody's going to be able to do that, but I think that he set a a model for how you can get over that. And I think what we saw is that a lot of people uh, in Virginia and and New Jersey especially were focused on inflation. They were focused on the -hmm. challenges with COVID at the time. They were focused on gas prices and where they were and, you know, a lot of the things that, uh, that affect people's pockets. You could argue that he actually stayed pretty close to the to the Trump message. He just stayed away from Trump physically, Frank. Isn't that the case? That and, you know, and that Trump kind of bluster, right? Mm -hmm. That Trump bluster, uh, which always is a is a benefit in some cases, is a negative in in many other cases. And if you notice that there's this Ron DeSantis is succeeding in this mold. Uh, Nikki Haley likely could succeed in this mold. They can capture a lot of that Trump mantra without the hysterics of the Trump uh, yeah. personality. And I think that's the winning recipe for a lot of Republicans. Kevin, does this rub off in a negative way, uh, at least on any of the candidates that, for midterm races that Donald Trump has endorsed? Or, or does it give them more ammo? It's, I, I, it's a good question, Joe. I think, you know, we're still... You a, can fundraise a off this kind of stuff, to- right? Yeah, it's, we're a little ways away still from the midterms. I know it's, you know we see everything through that lens. True. So enough. who knows what the, the breaking issue will be two hundred and you know forty days <laughs> um, from now. So I think it's going to be a case by case basis in terms of how close they hug the former president in some of these uh, tight races where he has endorsed. Whether it be, for example, that we're seeing play out in Alabama, for example, where he's having some regrets, some you know uh, regrets in, in North Carolina with his back. Uh, candidates. Um, mm-hmm. So, and we'll also see the power of Mitch McConnell, right? Who's taken a different track on some of these uh, uh, nominees uh, in in places like Pennsylvania, in places like Georgia, and others. Um, so, so uh, again, I think it's we're a little too far out there to see the, the ramifications of that. Of course, well, with the backdrop, I will. I will add committee. this though, Joe. I will. Yeah, add Frank, this. you get the last where we, word. Where we are seeing. Where things to watch, and then some of the primaries will be like in Georgia, where yeah. David Perdue really isn't getting much ground where they thought he would, and so that's right. That's, exactly that's right. going to be kind of the recipe that, that we have to see. Uh, as to that's when we're going to be watching. Trump has tried to take lots of credit for things, and uh, you know, so far with Virginia as, yeah. a, as an example, he really didn't get much of the credit, although he tried to take it. Frank Mezzano, Kevin Walling, great conversation. Thanks for being with us on our panel as we turn now to Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in black history in 1891, Albert Richardson patented the butter churn. Up until then, anyone who wanted butter had to make it by hand in a bowl. But Richardson's invention would eventually make it easier to make butter and forever change the food industry. Throughout his life, Richardson had a habit of seeing a problem and then inventing a solution. 
One such problem he saw was the way dead people were buried. At the time, it was in shallow graves or lowering caskets with ropes into a deeper hole. And this required several people to work in unison, which wasn't always possible, and it could result in damaging the casket. So in 1894, Richardson patented the casket lowering device, and it's used in all cemeteries today. Richardson also invented the home fastener, an insect destroyer, and an improved design of the bottle. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Thank you, Renita. We'll do this all over again tomorrow. I'll meet you back here, fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.